Good morning, church family. Good morning. Uh, I do have one announcement to make as you're turning in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 2. Uh, the Christian Counseling Center has wanted a facelift, and I've been trying to twist the elders' arms and letting us move from on top of the B-wing, which is the third heaven, over to the Howard Center, uh, the second story, which the Howard Center's curb appeal, uh, atmosphere, everything is better. And so finally, this last weekend, the Counseling Center was given the opportunity to move offices from above the B-wing over to the Howard Center. About 20 guys showed up, and I want you guys to give these young men a hand. Some of them may be here in this service. Some will be in later service from our Awaken 514 homes and from the carpenter shed. Uh, my knees hurt really bad, and they would hurt like five or six times as bad if I didn't have all those guys show up. Our, our goal has been to free up some space in the church for Bible classes uh, for discipleship groups and small group meeting places. And so that uh, top uh, floor of the B-Wing is eventually going to be used for those purposes. So you guys stay tuned in your bulletins for what we have upcoming with the um, addition of space in our church building. I want to talk to you this morning about God's promises. Uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 4, we're continuing our sermon series where King David, who the Bible describes and God himself describes as a man after God's own heart, is nearing the absolute twilight season of his life. He knows he's going to pass away, and he is giving some words of advice to his son, Solomon. And the first thing he tells Solomon is, Solomon, you got to mature by becoming a man, and real men, and real women for that matter, they let the Lord lead. They let God guide them, whether it's facing giants or uh, doing the right thing when no one is looking. Real, real men let God lead in every situation. And that was one way David taught Solomon what to do when it seemed like there was nothing left to do, like everything had been done. And so today, the second thing that David tells Solomon is, hey, Solomon, when it looks like you've done everything you can possibly do, and it seems like there's nothing left for you to do, you've got to trust the promises of God. So in my household, we have a nine and a seven and a five-year-old, and they're really starting to grasp the concept of a promise. And every now and then in my house, you can hear one uh, child say to the other, do you pinky promise? Yeah, but do you pinky promise? And so I just did a quick uh, search on Wikipedia, which you know is credible, all right? And, in, and that pinky promise phrase has been around since the mid-1800s. Apparently it originated in Japan where literally if you broke the promise you made on your pinky, they would break your pinky. And so a pinky promise allows the person to whom the promise is made to take the next step. That's the importance of a promise. It allows the person to whom the promise is made to take the next step. So for my kids, it's like, you can't tell mom and dad what I'm about to tell you. And the other one's like, okay, okay, I won't tell. And then the, one, the, the person who's about to disclose the information is like, yeah, but do you pinky promise? And once their sibling pinky promises, they can take the next step, whatever that is. In this case, it's disclosure of some existentially significant secret, apparently. 
All right, so I wanted to do a little something with you this morning because not everybody keeps the promises that they make, okay? So you don't have to say out loud who I am um, imitating, but I do want you to try to guess, okay? So this is one individual who did break a promise. Here you go. Read my lips. No new taxes. Don't mention a name. Just raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about, okay? God bless you guys. All right, I got another one. This is going to be good. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. Raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about. Come on. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. Look, that's both sides of the aisle, ladies and gentlemen, all right? So I'm not uh, biased towards one. How, how about this? Because uh, this is a little bit different, but it's still kind of the same. I did not have hmm, relations with that woman. Those are false accusations. Okay, so, so the truth is, in life, not everyone keeps their promises, all right? In, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 4, this is what uh, King David says to Solomon, and I've got this up on the screen for you. I'm just taking this from one verse. He says, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Now, David's actually talking to Solomon about a promise God made him in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And this is a really important uh, section of Scripture in 2 Samuel 7. This is where God promises the nation of Israel that there will be a king from the Davidic line, just a son of David, on the throne forever. And I wanted to read this to you, but you need to know in your Bible, where is that moment in time where God made the promise to the nation of Israel that they'd have a king of the lineage of David on the throne forever? This is very significant. The Bible says this, and this is God speaking to David here. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offering to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will I establish forever. So here God makes David a very significant promise. And he says, David, no matter what may befall the the future of this kingdom, I'm always going to have a son of yours sitting on the throne of Israel. Now, I'm going to give you just a very quick, very abridged version of what happens from this moment uh, to the next few significant moments in the Old Testament. But Solomon has a son, and after Solomon has a son, the kingdom of Israel splits into two kingdoms. In the northern kingdom, which is called Israel, there's a king. And in the southern kingdom, called Judah, there's a king. 
And time passes, and then in 746 B.C., this very powerful nation called Assyria overthrows the northern kingdom. And this is a major significant moment in history because all of the Israelites are going, the Assyrians have invaded, but God promised we'd always have a Davidic king on the throne. How is God going to maintain this promise despite us being overthrown? And then in 586 B.C., almost 200 years later, the Babylonians overthrow the southern kingdom of Judah. And the, and the Israelites are doing the same thing. They're like, how is God going to keep his promise to us to have a king from David on the throne in Israel forever? And I promise you this in your life, there are going to be moments where it seems like the promises that God has made to you are going to be impossible for him to keep. There are going to be moments where the enemy or other human beings or your own sin creates a situation where it seems like the promises God has made you are not going to be kept. And what I want you to know after today is that it is our God's very nature to be a promise keeper. And I want to give you two scriptures to illustrate that. The first is from the book of Numbers, and this is the 23rd chapter. And so there's this guy named Balaam who's kind of a prophet, and he goes to consult God, and Balaam consults God, and God tells him this, God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And those are rhetorical questions. The answer to each of those questions is obvious. God is not a human and he does not lie. He is not a human being that he should change his mind. God never speaks and doesn't act. God never promises without fulfilling. That's what the Bible teaches. But here's what happens in our lives. We go through our day-to-day life and we fall in love with people or there are people who uh, are in our family and they break major promises. They break major promises. And it's really hard for those of us who have lived life in which someone broke a significant promise to us not to transfer that promise-breaking tendency onto God. So I'll give you an example from my life. I come from a divorced family. And when my parents married, they made a promise to each other that they'd stay together until death did them part. And when they got a divorce, that, they broke their promise to one another and they broke their promise to me. And so at a very early age, I, I developed this very big trust struggle. It was really hard for me to trust people. And, and even still today, I can really struggle with letting people in and really trusting people and really being candid about what's going on with me. It's all about this big, major promise that was broken to me in my childhood. And as time went on, and I eventually surrendered my life to Christ, I realized that there are a lot of times where a, a, a moment of, of Difficulty comes in which it looks like a promise God has made me cannot come to pass. And because in my life there's a history of people breaking their promises, I just assume that God's promise is not going to be carried out. In other words, it's very difficult for me not to transfer onto God the pain that I've experienced by people breaking their promise to me and kind of assume, you know what, God's going to be a promise breaker. 
And some of you have lived through the same kinds of situations. You're going through a difficulty and you're going through a struggle and someone has broken a significant promise to you in life and you start looking at God as though he might be the kind of God who would break a promise that he's made to you. And that's not God's character. God's character is a promise keeper. You know, God leads a man named Joshua to conquer the land of Canaan, which is the land he promised Israel. And in Joshua chapter 23 and verse 14, Joshua kind of tells the Israelites how significant it is that they finally conquered the land of promise. And this, this is this little old like ragtag group of basically nomads who crossed the Jordan River when it's in flood stage. There are all these nations set up in the land of promise and these this nomadic group of people that's been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years starts conquering village and nation after nation after nation and joshua is just so amazed at god helping the israelites overcome a place like jericho whose fortified walls would have been impenetrable and at the end of israel's conquest joshua tells the israelites i'm about to go the way of all the earth he's about to die And you know, and if you've got your Bibles with you and you've turned here this morning, I want you to underline this. And you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Listen to this. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one promise has failed. This morning, friend, you can trust the Lord your God with every single fiber of your being. You can trust the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now let's back up. If someone has broken a promise to us and we're in a season of difficulty and we transfer on to God that likelihood or that anticipation that the promise is not going to be kept and we begin to fear that God's not going to keep his promise, what most people do when they're afraid is they try to assume control of a situation. I know God's promised to do such and such, but this situation seems like it's getting out of control. So now Trent's going to step up and he's going to take control of this situation. And he's going to do what he thinks is best based on his information, his time, and his power. Which is exactly the opposite of surrender. And exactly the strategy the enemy uses to cause the destruction of God's people. But if you'll learn to trust God's promises with every single fiber of your being, when that anxiety builds up in you or that sense of fear builds up in you because what you're going through seems insurmountable or too difficult to overcome or is taking too long, when that, when that comes up within you, you'll learn that God is a trustworthy God. He's not a human that he should lie. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't make a promise and not fulfill it. And the nation of Israel saw that come to pass. This little nomad group of people conquers these nations in the promised land. And Joshua goes, none of God's promises fail. You can trust the promises of God. You can rely on God's promise with every fiber of your being. And what that means is you can take the next step. You've got to take whatever that is because the God who makes the promises to you is a God who always, always keeps his promise. Psalm 119 talks about the promises of God a lot. 
And I had uh, some of our LTC kids actually read from Psalm 119. But there are two scriptures from Psalm 119 that I want you to focus on. It's like, Trent, I get what you're saying. Trust God's promises. If we've had people break promises to us in the past, don't transfer that onto God and assume he's going to be like them. But practically, what difference does that make when my marriage feels like it's on the rocks? Or that mental health issue I've been struggling with is really bothering me. Or my financial situation seems like it's out of control. Or the, or the girl I like in high school doesn't seem to notice me. Or the athletic team that I'm trying to make it doesn't seem like they're, they're interested in my talent level. Or my loved one is ill. What, what's, what, how practically is that supposed to make a difference for me? Let me give you Psalm 119 and verse 50. The psalmist here writes, My comfort... In suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. When you are in the midst of suffering, knowing that God is a God who keeps his promises and that none of his promises ever fail, that is intended to provide you with some comfort in the midst of suffering. I think sometimes in the midst of suffering, we're looking for healing or reconciliation or transformation. But sometimes in the midst of suffering, really all we need is trust. And if we will trust that God is a God who keeps his promises, we will feel the comfort of God begin to soothe our discomfort. And maybe our external situation doesn't change the way our mind would like But God will transform your inner world from chaos, this is so beautiful, to comfort if you trust in his promises. If you fast forward in Psalm 119 to verse 162, the psalmist talks about not only do God's promises provide comfort, but they're they're the source of our joy. God's promises are intended to be the source of our joy. God, it seems like there's a mountain I'm going to climb. God, are you with me? God, I'm going through a deep valley. God, are you here? God, there's, there's a hurricane force wind blowing in my life. God, how am I supposed to find joy? And God's saying, I just want you to trust that my promises to you are true. The psalmist says, I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. So my kids are also at an age not only where they're learning the concept of a promise, they're also, we're trying to teach them the concept of money, that money doesn't just grow on a tree, you know? And some of you that have had little kids kind of get this sense, it's like, man, there's just not an unlimited supply of money in the house. And so one thing that the kids will do from time to time is they'll like start looking through the couch cushions to like see if they can find money or when they're cleaning, they'll find something or the best, the coolest thing for them is like find a quarter, you know, outside on the ground somewhere. It's like, dad, look at this. You know, I just found a quarter. This is like my super lucky day. And, and, and at their age, that is a moment for them of joy. And my kids uh, are just shy of developing a full-blown addiction to chewing gum. Uh, And so the quarter buys them a huge, big, fat gumball, which in their world is like the most joy-promoting experience of their week. So, so they find this treasure, and the treasure causes them joy. God's promises to you are intended to be something that you treasure. 
But the world is constantly tugging you towards material things and away from spiritual things so that it's not God's promise that you can take comfort in or find joy in. It's some material blessing or some material experience or some material event. That's really what satisfies. And God's, God's telling you this morning, I want you to move away from that kind of a mentality. And no matter what situation you find yourself in, I want you to remember the promises that I've made to you. And I want you to rejoice when those promises come to your mind like you have found a secret stash of $100 bills two weeks before Christmas. I want to give you three promises. I was going to give a bunch, but I didn't want to turn one sermon into seven this morning. I want to give you three promises that mean a lot to me. The first is found in James chapter 1 and verse 12. These are not going to be on the screen, but I do want you to write these down if you get the chance to review them. And the other thing I was going to tell you too is I hope as you read the New Testament that you are looking in there for promises that God has made you and that you find comfort in those and can rejoice in those. James 1.12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has withstood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Here's that special word we're talking about this morning, that the Lord has promised those who love him. When, you're, when I'm in the middle of trial, man, there are some days when I'm in the counseling center and I'm seeing 10 or 12 clients back to back, start at 8 a.m., end at like 9, and I am just feeling beaten up emotionally and spiritually. And sometimes I'll think about James 1.12 and it encourages me, it blesses me because I think, you know what, God, I am, I am trying my best to withstand the trial of being on the front lines and working with people. And I know that if I can withstand the test by your grace through surrender, that I'll receive the crown of life that you've promised those who love you. And I find comfort in that and I can rejoice in that. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, <clears throat> we, I, I like the promise of a crown, I like the promise of compassion. Second Peter 3, 9, uh, Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some people understand slowness, but he is patient with you, willing that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I don't know about you, but there are some days I just feel really unworthy. I've made a big mistake or I've reacted in anger towards my family or my wife. And we've had an argument, which we actually have had one argument in the 12 years of our marriage. And I felt bad about that argument that we did have. Um, and, and I'll think to myself, you know what? God intends for me to repent and be transformed. Even when I'm messed up, even when I'm making mistakes, even when I'm struggling, he's still compassionate towards me. And I like 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. This is the shortest one. John says, this is the promise that God has given us eternal life. And there are those seasons in life that we go through that just feel like they drag on and on. And it's very difficult and it's very uh, tedious and tiresome and it's a struggle. But I, based on 1 John 2.25, I, I really try to look at those seasons in life as though they're just the introduction little preface to our whole story, which lasts for eternity. And God's promised us eternal life in Jesus Christ, His Son. 
And so if we, if we really were to look at, and I, this is very important theology, and I want to give you this before we wrap. This is in 2 Corinthians. And in, in the Bible, if we're, if, we're, if we're considering the promises God has made us, and the, I named three, a crown, compassion, and um, completion. But there are a lot more in, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. There are a lot of promises that God has made us. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, Paul shares with us how God is able to uh, follow through on every single promise he's made. And here it is. No matter how many promises God has made, every single one you're ever going to find, every promise God has made to you, they are yes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. In other words, God, when you said you'll never leave me or forsake me, when you said to come to you if I labor and am heavy laden, when you said if I just persevere under trial, I'll receive a crown of life, when you say it's, it, you'll show compassion on everyone, the way you do that, Lord God, is through Jesus Christ. I know through him you've accomplished every single promise you've ever made. And so in Jesus Christ, I can say amen. I can say so be it. I can say it is finished because Jesus Christ is the ultimate promise keeper. Somebody better give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. But what we do in life, listen to this. What we do in life is we listen to a guy who says something like this. Read my lips. No new taxes. And we put our trust in that guy's promise. Or we do this. If you like your plan... You can keep your plan. And we put our trust in that guy's promise. But when we're facing a difficult situation in life, it's very hard for us to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the answer to all the promises God has made. It is not until we stop trusting the dead things of this world and start trusting the resurrected Lord that we'll find the comfort and joy in all situations that God intends for us to feel because of his promises that are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are right there in your life battling that situation, waiting to take the next step, whatever it is, and you've hesitated because you're afraid. And God wants you this morning, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to take the next step because his promises are true. I don't know what the need is in your life. I'm going to close in a prayer and then I invite you to do just that, church family. I invite you to take the next step by the power of God and the grace he gives to you so that his promise can be made true in your life today. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you so grateful that in the Lord Jesus Christ, every single promise you have made us is yes. And so we can shout amen to your glory because everything is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to stop putting our faith and trust in the things that this world promises and instead put our faith and trust in the resurrected Lord of this entire world. God, I pray you'd help your people take that next step in each of their situations this morning. It's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen.